0: Welcome to the podcast. We've got fresh content from some of the brightest minds in the Bitcoin, blockchain, and crypto space. With feeds on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram that make it so incredibly easy to keep to the pulse of what's happening. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and even hit the share button to send to someone you know who would love to know about this totally free podcast. Huge thanks to our main sponsor, Unocoin, who are not only India's leading crypto assets blockchain company, but also the reason why this podcast is available to you completely free of charge. With that said, let's jump into one of the Blockchain Impact Conference talks that took place in Toronto, Canada on December 8th, 2017.
1: Enjoy. All right, so let's get started, everyone. We don't want to waste any more time. We've got an action-packed evening. Okay, just to begin, so just by a show of hands, how many people have attended one of these Big Canada events before? Okay, how many have not? Oh, okay, she's about even. All right, cool, so for those of you who have not, uh, my name is Sunny, Sunny Ray. I'm one of the co-founders of a company called Unocoin. Unocoin is one of India's leading Bitcoin blockchain companies. Uh, We essentially make it easy for people in India to buy and sell Bitcoin. I am, however, Canadian, and so I have aspirations of someday bringing Unocoin here. For now, we're just uh, sponsoring events. So let's get started. Um, Okay, so our first uh, speaker is going to be someone by the name of Usman. Sheik, he's with Gowling. So Gowling is one of the top law firms in Canada, which many of you probably know. Um, And they were a big part of making today a success. So if you can please help me uh, put your hands together for Usman.
0: Actually, we did. We're one of the sponsors, so <laughs> thanks for fulfilling the contract. Uh, so my name is Osman Shake. I'm the a partner at Calvin WLG. I'm also the head of our uh, blockchain and smart contract practice group. I'll tell you a little bit about us. We're uh, a team that is almost about now 90 practitioners strong throughout Canada and throughout our various foreign offices. We have offices in Singapore. We have offices in the PRC, we have offices in Russia, et cetera, et cetera. And we work together, we learn together, we do files together. Our firm had uh, some level of prophetic vision, like many of you hear, that blockchain would be totally impactful for our clients, would have a totally potentially disruptive uh, effect on our clients as well. And I don't mean that in any pejorative sense. And so we tried to get ahead of it and uh, have now a number of accomplishments under our belt. We Among other things, listed the very first blockchain company in the world, which is BTL, that's listed on the TSXB. We were also uh, one of our practitioners in Montreal involved in the Impact ICO, which was the first initial coin offering that had been reviewed and uh, exemptive relief granted for that particular ICO. We're also a member of the Blockchain Research Institute, which is a consortium together with the Bank of Canada, the Government of Canada, NUCO Hyperledger Project, and many, many other organizations, and we're the only law firm that's part of that initiative. So uh, we're very much in the thick of blockchain, ICOs, cryptocurrency exchanges, crypto investment funds, tax work, patent work, etc., etc. And we're so honored to be here with uh, Sunny. We're so honored to be supporting blockchain impact here today. It was an absolutely terrific session throughout the morning, and I expect the same this evening as well so thanks for having us and giving us the opportunity to sponsor okay awesome so uh, so our we, uh, we have one more person that's gonna
1: say a few words really briefly and then we're gonna get right into our panels uh, so this next gentleman doesn't really need an introduction in toronto his name is anthony diorio you guys have heard me say this many times he's literally a hero of mine um when i was in india five years ago and I was, I was literally online, I was watching this guy doing all the magic he was doing here in Toronto I was inspired by it, started my own meetups in Bangalore, uh, which ended up leading into becoming the biggest Bangalore meetup, or Indian meetups, Bitcoin meetups. That ended up leading to us starting Unocoin. Now Unocoin, uh, it took us three years to get to 100,000 users. Now we're adding 100,000 users every two weeks. And I attribute a lot of the success that I've had to, to guys like Anthony, guys like Rodolfo, Peter Todd, all these amazing people in Toronto. So please help me welcome the founder of Jax Decentral, Ethereum, Anthony Diario.
2: Thanks a lot, Sonny. Um, The the community scene in Toronto started in in 2012. Um, I remember when I first wrote Bitcoin in the summer of 2012, looking for a community, looking for other people around there to to start talking about this thing that I realized would be extremely important and game-changing, and there was nothing else out there. And for a number of years, I held events, done something about 110, maybe 115 events that we've held since 2012. And it's been great over the last year, uh, Sunny kind of taking the reins from things uh, from me, doing the events in Mars last year, and then carrying on events like these that are growing. And it's, it's really good that I've been able to, to, to step back and focus on the businesses and things that I'm doing, and to have him take over things and do it. So I'd really like to give him a round of applause, because he's put on some of the biggest events now in Toronto, and he keeps them going. So I really want to <keep them> <laughs> the, the community has grown. Massively. The first event we had was in a, uh, the first uh, Toronto Bitcoin made group was at a, a small little bar in Toronto. There was eight of us that showed up and people like Peter Todd was there, Vitalik Buter, the first time I met him, was at the first event that we threw there. And then through that, seeing the growth of them and then going to weekly events that we were putting on and getting them up to the hundreds of people. And then when we launched Decentral in 2014, the lineups when we had the first ATM that came in there. And then things have just grown and scaled. It's great to see these massive events that are happening on regular, regular times now, and then with the, the big blow up of things recently, seeing more and more people getting out and, and getting into the space. So I'm going to kind of short here because I don't have much time. I'll be on a panel now, but thanks very much. Glad you're all here. It's going to be a great night. Thank you. All right. So for our, uh, for our first panel,
1: it's, uh, the title of the panel is What is Bitcoin and Blockchain Technology? So for our moderator, I'm going to call uh, the beautiful Iliana. Please help me welcome Ileana and I'll have her introduce tomorrow
3: introduction, Ileana Oris valiente I wear a couple of hats in the blockchain space, including as a managing director and global blockchain innovation lead at Accenture. It's a pleasure seeing this many people in Toronto. So without going and attempting to do justice to all of the panelists that we have today here for you, I'm going to call them up one by one. And as part of the panel, I'll get them to do an introduction and to explain to you what it is that they do in this space. So in no particular order, I'd like to call up uh, Ethan Bookman. <laughs> Actually, I'll call them all up at the same time and then you can hold the applause. We have Michael Perklin, Peter Todd, Samson, did you just sneak in just in time for this panel? Yes. Okay, perfect. Come on up here. We have Anthony Diario as well. And Annie Eager, he's I'm in good. the audience somewhere. somewhere. So just before the panel today, we were making uh, a couple of joking comments that in front of you, you've assembled a very superstar group of individuals who have been key components of the Bitcoin and blockchain space for a couple of years. So we are going to ask them some very basic questions and I'll encourage all of the panelists to keep it at a very high level, given that in the audience we have some newcomers as well as some um, existing stakeholders. So first things first, I'm hoping that I can have a volunteer in this group take a crack at explaining Bitcoin in about 30 seconds and we'll try to hold you to that. Michael.
4: So in my 30 second uh, elevator pitch of what is Bitcoin, Um, Bitcoin is a protocol for money over IP, email is a protocol for letters over IP, Skype is a protocol for voice over IP, Bitcoin is for money over IP. Same data, but different thing. Wonderful, that was a great explanation.
3: I think that may take a record for the quickest blockchain intro I've seen. Manny, did you want to give it a crack as well?
5: Hi everyone. I think Bitcoin is nothing short of the bank for the future, of the future. It's starting to develop the market cap. It has, in terms of its utility, a digital currency, peer-to-peer, uh, if, if we think of a global bank that could serve everyone's needs, institutional, individual, consumer, uh, and business-to-business, Bitcoin banking is gonna be the model for the future. Whoever that big future bank is gonna be, this is the model.
3: One of the questions that we get often from newcomers in this space is, where did this Bitcoin thing come from and why? Is there someone who would like to take a crack on sharing the story and the significance of the timing of the introduction of Bitcoin?
6: Well, and I think uh, Gregory Maxwell this one, which is that the really amazing thing Bitcoin did, namely Satoshi, is that who Satoshi is doesn't really matter that much. You know, what was so amazing about Bitcoin is that it was a self-contained thing, that purely using math and a bit of incentives and a whole bunch of energy, made data secure, you know, made impossible to go copy in a way that could be used as money.
3: And perhaps there's someone on the stage that can talk about some of the key component technologies that make Bitcoin what it is. Because at the end of the day, although the application is new, some of the underlying technologies we've already had for many years and they're proven and battle-tested.
7: That's true, and it's almost like it's nothing new under the sun. And I've heard Peter here actually um, express, you know, significant frustration at the fact that it wasn't him that came up with it because it was so close and I've heard that from a number of people because really um, the, the underlying primitives that, that it's using of, of digital signatures which have been around for a long time um, and hashing functions which have similarly been around for a long time are age old. Um, furthermore, it Bitcoin is well known to be what's called a consensus protocol which is to say that all the computers on the, on the Bitcoin network um, share the same state. And and that state is always staying in sync, right? And that's the whole point, that they always keep uh, the full balance, so to speak, of everyone's account, right? And they never disagree. And, And that's known as a consensus protocol. And consensus protocols are, you know, 30, 40 years old. And yet, no one had figured out how to build a consensus protocol that had the kind of properties that Bitcoin had that enabled the kind of decentralized money that Bitcoin enables. And so it was kind of a, a huge shock to everyone when, when Bitcoin showed up and didn't really draw on any of the classic work in consensus theory. It actually took a few years before people started to figure out, hey, wait a minute, this is actually a new solution to an old problem. But it was it was it was sort of wrapped in the guise of, oh, we're gonna make electronic money, not at, not so much in the guise of how do we do a global decentralized um, consensus network. And so a lot of the things that have happened with blockchain since then have kind of been in, oh, we solved the consensus problem, so we can do a lot more with that. And, and on the other hand, there, there's we're starting to realize that, oh, using the consensus problem, you can make decentralized money and global money. And so we're going in a lot of directions with that as well.
3: If you didn't understand fully what Ethan meant by that very eloquent explanation, that's okay. To have a full appreciation of all of the technical nuances in the blockchain space, you might be expected to go out tomorrow and get a degree in computer science and in mathematics, and in distributed systems, and in security, and in economics while you're at it as well. So luckily on this panel, you have a good cross-section of people from all of those different domains. Actually,
7: Peter has an arts degree. <laughs> really, it's all you need. Don't, don't listen to her. Amongst all of those other variables.
3: So one of the questions that we also often hear from people in this space is this notion of, in Canada, we're very lucky, we have a fairly stable System When it comes to the financial markets, when it comes to our wallets, we probably open them up and you have two debit cards from different banks, a couple of credit cards from different financial institutions, we're also very lucky to have interact money transfers that lots of other parts of the world don't have. Do you agree or disagree with the statement that the power of Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies is likely to be most powerful in other jurisdictions that perhaps don't have such uh, a well-developed financial ecosystem?
4: Well, well, the third party countries would see the impact uh, a lot more readily than than Mm -hmm. us. Uh, People in first world countries would, would, uh, would also see it equally because Uh, It was only, I think, one and a half years ago that in Greece, a very well-developed country, uh, every single person who had dollars on deposit in their bank woke up and they had 10% fewer dollars in their account. Or sorry, it was euros. But regardless, uh, their government decided to just take money from every single citizen of that country. Now, this wasn't, you know, um, Zimbabwe or or, or some uh, third-party country that is uh, fighting to feed their that their citizens this is a well developed country and even here in canada uh, laws have already been passed that grant the powers to our government to do the very same thing to us they haven't done it yet but um They they absolutely can. So uh, while, yes, third-party countries would see this very readily because they don't have the infrastructure that we have, even even our infrastructure doesn't protect us from having that infrastructure turned against us. And Bitcoin gives us a plan B, a totally different infrastructure that gives us the freedom outside of uh, uh, the the, the shackles
8: of the banking system. And that's one of the reasons why I'm, I'm very interested in Bitcoin. So, I think actually our system in Canada is not that developed. If you look at China, you have WeChat and Alipay, which is far cheaper. You have to pay a dollar for Interact here, but you can do it for free in China. So, we're actually behind. Um, Bitcoin, I don't think, is really good for payments. If uh, you look at Lightning, then you open up new avenues for doing small, small payments and longer transactions, which is actually really interesting. But I think Bitcoin's primary function is still store of value at this point.
3: We've been talking primarily about the Bitcoin world, but there are a number of alternative cryptocurrencies that have emerged as well. And in the midst of all of this, there is this common sentiment that blockchains are secure. Since we have a couple of folks on this panel who are very deep in security, could you explain to the audience how they can reconcile the statement that blockchains are inherently secure with the fact that in the news they'll often hear about various uh, breaches that have occurred?
6: Well, I mean, I'd actually first of all say that the idea that blockchains are, you know, the general statement blockchains are secure is not true at all. I mean, I keep, you know, using the definition of blockchain is just a chain of blocks. The security comes in, well, how do you figure out which chain of blocks is the chain? And there's many, many, many different ways to go do that. And many ways of those ways can go fail. Now, if you're going to limit yourself to, say, just something like Bitcoin, well, I mean, then you've got to ask the question, well, what part is failing? Is it the part? You know, way up here, where some guy goes and clicks on an email for a dog show and gets some malware on his computer and gets his computer compromised. Are we talking about the thing way down here, which is the actual consensus layer? And fortunately for us, the bedrock of the system appears to be very secure. We've had very few issues with the core of Bitcoin. Now, we've had things like it being expensive, but it still works when you go pay the money. Whereas the upper levels. I mean, the simple is we're just not as good at doing the kind of software
4: development that you need for that full stack. And there's just not as many people who can do it. I think it's important to differentiate between uh, someone who says that Bitcoin is not secure because uh, some Bitcoin is stolen from them versus the way that someone is storing Bitcoin is secure or is not secure. Uh, that difference is very similar to, let's say, an, an old lady who has uh, some dollar bills in their, uh, in their purse. And she gets mugged and the dollars were stolen. You don't say that dollars are insecure because, look, well, money was stolen from her. Um, uh, when, when a Bitcoin exchange gets hacked, they get hacked because they didn't secure their Bitcoin correctly. That is a completely different uh, thing from Bitcoin itself being a very secure storage. Bitcoin is secure because it, it places the the onus on the secrecy of a private key. It is up to all of us to protect the secrecy of our private keys, because once that uh, private key becomes known to someone else, they have equal rights to move your money as you
3: do. Thank you, I think that's the answer I was really looking for, because that's typically what, where people's questions go. If we shift gears ever so slightly and talk more about the alternative blockchain implementations out there, such as Ethereum and the multiple other networks that currently exist, I'll pass this off to Anthony to speak very briefly about the introduction of the Ethereum platform and why that was a very powerful invention in this ecosystem.
2: So, Bitcoin's good, good at many things. Uh, well, it's, good at, it's good at sending value. It's good at showing that something's been received and something can be verified. But aside from that, it's kind of not smarter, maybe be considered dumb. You can't do much more complex things with it. You can't do these these programmable things with it that um, people were trying to do back in 2013, 2014, where Bitcoin had been around for a number of years already. People were realizing that uh, it was offering some good value, but they realized they wanted to do a lot more complex financial things on it more complex things and it just wasn't equipped from it and metallic had been traveling around the world and seeing where people were having issues he'd been working on projects i believe seeing people at mastercoin and bidshare just going around colored coins and seeing where people were struggling trying to do things on top of bitcoin and the concept and idea was that that bitcoin wasn't made to be doing much more than what it could do and that something else was needed something more programmable or something that could actually carry out these more complex things, and that's where the idea came from, for creating smart contracts on top of the blockchain system. So that's what was introduced, and it's really taken off as, as it came out of Toronto here, set up eventually in Switzerland, and it's what people are going to right now for setting up new projects, for creating new coins on top of it, for all the ICOs, we're seeing everything's being built on top of Ethereum, as it offers a lot more functionality and much more flexibility.
3: Manny in your experiences as an ecosystem builder where are you seeing the distinctions between the conversations of bitcoin versus the underlying blockchain and the various use cases there will be another panel later on this evening that dives into the various use cases but just a quick
5: high level view you're all obviously aware the first blockchain application was the uh, was bitcoin not the other way around so that's very important to understand the rails were already being built for Ethereum and everything else that was, was going to follow. So today we have a very rich mosaic, uh, if you wish, of public and private blockchains, inter uh, interchain cap- ca- capabilities, off-chain capabilities. So it's, it's, it's truly rich to understand that we have a tool available that can pretty much touch any sphere of life, any sphere of business beyond just financial applications, digital identity, supply chain management, Uh, health records. I can go on and on. Uh, There's so many use cases suddenly out there that still need to mature, still need to take root, um, that we've all invested in and uh, done ICOs in and so forth. But I think this is a forthcoming attraction. The real show and and what this technology is going to do to us and for us, we're going to see in the next 18 to 24 months.
8: It's actually really good that we have things like Ethereum that can tackle these advanced use cases like trading tokenies and things like that. Um, but going back to the previous point about security of blockchains, again, that is actually dependent on the blockchain itself. So in the case of Ethereum, you have uh, the possibility of rollbacks and uh, that actually makes it insecure because if you think you have something and you suddenly don't, uh, they can roll it back. Um, it, you have it, don't have it because they can roll it back.
6: Yes, I have to point out is the most successful blockchain application on this planet. Something that you know, even in this audience, probably like a third or half of you don't even realize you're actually using it is certificate transparency, and all it is is just an audit log of you know who publishes what certificates. It's absolutely dead simple, but it does one thing, it does it right, and it does it incredibly well. And more, also more importantly, it does it in a way that's disconnected from other applications. So the search transparency guys can create their chain to do the right thing for their application. And I think as time goes on, what we're gonna see is actually people you know, getting past the sort of local um, local maximum of things that you know, put everything in one consensus. And start asking, well, what do we actually want our crypto to do? And when you ask that question, and you go start for basics, you know, with an understanding of where does the crypto do, what are you trying to prove? I think you get much better results. And this is why, for instance, you know, my own personal work is all about. How can I go build something? Which might interact with Bitcoin in some small way, but it's about proofs and about math. It's not about putting everything on some chain or some easy-to-use system. It's about getting it right.
3: What would you suggest for the audience members as the best way of getting more in-depth background on how this technology works? Given that over the next couple of hours while we have the panel sessions, we'll go to a certain surface level, but what are their their takeaways over the Christmas holidays?
6: Well, I'm a little biased because I kind of started the project, but you know, open timestamps is both the most boring blockchain application you can possibly find, with the simplest math. And I'd go sit down and you know, if you have any technical information, sit down and figure out how it actually goes and works. Because it really is the most boring thing you can go get. And if you'd figure out how that works, well, that's your stepping stone. I mean, that's how I got into Bitcoin, thinking, well, this looks cool. What if I can
4: build that? Well, that may be good for the more technically inclined in the audience. Uh, for those who aren't technically inclined, uh, simply just using your favorite search engine to uh, to look up some of the terms you're hearing on, 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 on stage, like the word blockchain, uh, public key cryptography, uh, a hash that, that was used at the beginning of the presentation. Uh, these are all fundamental building blocks for what this technology is and does. Um, uh, every time you you are reading uh, something uh, from one of your Google searches and you run across another term you don't understand, we'll type that into your search engine as well. And before you know it, uh, you'll realize that you have very few holes left in your knowledge. Um, while uh, there are definitely some very uh, very deep uh, trenches you can dig into uh, that go quite technical. Uh, Just staying at the non-technical surface level, there's some fascinating applications of this technology, whether it's sending remittance payments to uh, family members overseas, uh, or yes, um, siring some of your digital cats. Uh, This place is fascinating and uh, you have no idea how deep the rabbit hole goes until you start looking.
3: One final question as we're starting to run low on time. One of the questions that also comes up often in the audience from polling the group earlier today is this notion of interoperability. So perhaps, Ethan, can you speak to the group about what are some of the things the audience members should consider as they are are bombarded with pitches from the 20 plus blockchain platform companies out there, how they should be considering looking at them as well as some of the initiatives that are moving on to get interoperability between all these alternative platforms?
7: the most important thing to understand is that as much money as there is in the space already, everything is incredibly immature and relatively unsafe, um, and and I mean that very seriously. It, with pretty much any of the technologies except for Bitcoin, you have, and even with Bitcoin, there's a significant chance you're going to lose money, um, because just just the the software does not have the level of maturity and the level of formalism um, that much of the other software we use in, in our lives do, and you know we're working towards that, and, and you know we're. We're trying to bring on more engineers to, to help bridge that gap and, and to bring in you know, new kinds of mathematics to formally verify protocols, so that we know with a certain certainty um, that things can't go wrong. But we're certainly not there yet. So that's the first thing to keep in mind: is the level of immaturity, despite how much money is on the line. And, and something that people people constantly mislead themselves over is: oh, if, if enough people are using it, or if enough money is on the line, or if it's open source, it means it's secure. Well, that's not true, right? And it takes a lot of time for these things to actually get battle tested. So that's number one. Um, so, so given that, if you still want to experiment, um, that's great, and you, know, you, sh- you should be encouraged and, and not too scared. But um, be careful and read up on things and, and be smart. You need, to have, you need to have good habits when you're using this technology. Um, you know, if, if you're going to use an exchange to, to put money on and to buy some bitcoins or to buy some other coins, uh, don't leave them on the exchange, because exchanges get hacked all the time. Right? Um, I, I think it just happened this week, another exchange got hacked. So you got to be very careful and, and there's a lot of personal responsibility involved. Now that said, there's a lot of a lot of companies and a lot of technologies that are being developed that are going to help this significantly, right? Like for instance, we don't have anything like um, insurance really in the blockchain space yet, right? You put money in your bank account, it's insured. If they get hacked, it's okay, it's no problem, right? Of course, if the if the company will, if the country wants to take a haircut on everyone's deposits, they can do that, right? So this is the trade-off you're making. You have complete control when you use Bitcoin, um, but you also have great responsibility, right? So what's happening now is none of the, none of these blockchains are—they're really, they're all kind of independent of each other. They're all—they're all sort of siloed off, and so there are a number of efforts now to enable them to interoperate in one way or another. And you can think about it in sort of the early days of the internet, and there were many different many different networks. Um, people were experimenting with different protocols to make, to enable computers to talk to each other. And it, it took a while before those independent networks were actually be able to join forces into this larger network that we now call the internet, right? And so the same thing is happening in the blockchain space, where where folks are experimenting with different ways and different technologies to enable the many different blockchains that currently exist and will exist in the future to start to interoperate. But again, those those tools and technologies are very, very young and immature and it's gonna take probably years before we figure out what the right standards are uh, to actually do this correctly. So it's a very exciting space to be. But if anyone tells you they have, you know, the be all end all solution for all the problems in the blockchain space of the world, you know, right. it's not true.
3: The opposite direction. But speaking of running, I think we are running out of time here. So thank you so much, everyone. I think the panelists will be around for a little bit longer. Thank you, Sani, for having us. Enjoy the rest of your
4: time.
0: Don't forget to like, subscribe, and share with a friend you think would appreciate the send. Up next, more talks from past conferences. Thanks for listening.